Welcome everybody to part two of our series called Hope. And you know the drill already. Go ahead and grab your Bible and your notepads out because we believe in taking notes here at Victory. All right, I'm going to say it until you believe it. We believe in taking notes at Victory. We believe that when God speaks to us, we jot some things down that we can reference on our spiritual journey. That we can, uh, when God speaks in the worship service. And again, I encourage you, put this discipline into your own life. When you're reading the Bible and God speaks to you through a verse and you see something that stands out, jot those things down so you don't forget them and you can reference them later on. If you'd like a fill-in-the-blank version of today's notes, you can pull up the Victory Church app uh, on your phone or whatever device you have and you can have a fill-in-the-blank version. All the verses that we reference, all the points are there as well. Uh, So if you like the easier version, you can click on that, all right, everybody? We talked last week that this series is a little bit different. This series, Hope, uh, the anchor in the storm. This is, it's a little bit different than normal. And what I meant by that last week and this week is that each week builds on the one before it. Uh, that they don't tie up nicely with a bow. And life oftentimes doesn't tie up nicely with a bow. A lot of times when we walk through things, there's a very real danger that as storms of life begin to grow, as they begin to, to grow in intensity, they begin to come one after the other. Oftentimes life doesn't just wait until you're ready to throw another storm at you. It starts to build and they start to join. And then it's one thing after another. A lot of times, and the danger there is that a real sense of hopelessness begins to set in. And you've seen it in our culture, but you've maybe also seen it in your own life. Have you seen it in the life of someone who's close to you where this sense of hopelessness begins to rise? And so we're having a conversation about hope. And here's our theme verse out of Hebrews chapter 6. And it says this, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. And so, again this week, I have my little mini anchor that I have here ready for an object illustration. Because I thought maybe you guys would remember it a little bit better like this. And so this is the little mini baby 10-pound anchor that's going to hold us secure in the storm. All right, I'm not sure if this can even hold a little fishing boat. But this is the illustration you get. Because I didn't trust this $9 Ikea table to hold the 40-pound anchor that I was looking at. So... I didn't trust myself to hold the 40-pound anchor up here, all right, while we were, you were looking at. But this is the anchor that's going to hold us in the storm. Here's the reality. All of us walk through times in life where storms come against us. All of us walk through times in life where trials come. And the reality of it is they get dark very, very quickly. The skies get dark. The storm comes against us. It grows in intensity very quickly. And before we're even aware of it, a lot of us get tossed away. And the Bible says if you don't have a biblical hope... You don't have an anchor in the storm. And so the storms of life can take you wherever they want to take you. They can buffet against your soul however they want to attack you. They can do it because you have no anchor in the midst of the storm. And another problem that comes up and arises even in Christians' life is oftentimes when we get our eyes off of God and we put them on the waves, oftentimes the storms of life toss us around and it's very hard to get our eyes back on him. It's very hard to see God when the storm is all around us. It's very hard to see his plan and to believe in his promises when the storm around us looks so big. And if you don't have a biblical hope, you don't have that anchor in the midst of the storm. You don't have the anchor. And so we're going to have a conversation about hope. We've been having it for these three weeks. What do you do when you find yourself hitting a spiritual wall? What do you do when you find yourself in this with this sense of hopelessness growing? What do you do when you don't see God in the midst of the circumstances? What do you do when you want to believe that God is good, but life is not? 
And so we've been talking about this in these three weeks. We're in one of the most raw and honest books of the Bible. We're studying the book of Habakkuk. Everybody say Habakkuk. Because if I have to say it a hundred times, you have to say it at least once, all right? It's a difficult. I'll probably say it three different ways this morning. But Habakkuk is one of the most, honestly, one of the most real and honest prophets in the Old Testament. That he's just, he's just honest with his feelings. And so last week we were in Habakkuk chapter 1. If you're with us, Habakkuk 1 is not a sitcom sermon. And if you remember what a sitcom sermon is, right? All of the problems are resolved in 30 minutes or less, including commercial breaks. It's a sitcom sermon. Chapter 1 is not that. Chapter 2 is not a sitcom sermon. And so if you didn't like last week, you're really not going to like this week, all right, everybody? Because chapter 2 leaves you hanging a little bit as well. It's a little bit open-ended. Everything doesn't work out the way we think it should be. And so chapter 2 is not a sitcom sermon. Tell the person next to you, welcome to victory, right? We want to make you feel good about yourself. This is... So Habakkuk chapter 2 today. Habakkuk 1, don't walk away from God in chapter 1. Chapter 2, don't quit on God in chapter 2. Don't quit on God in chapter 2. Chapter 1 was all about wondering. It was all about wondering, God, I know you can, I believe you will, but you're not, and I don't understand why you're not. Chapter 1 was all about wondering, God, I know this is who I believe you to be, but I'm not seeing it in the life around me. And so I know what I believe, but I'm not seeing it. And so we're wondering, chapter 2 is all about waiting. Chapter 2 is about waiting. Wondering is difficult. Don't get me wrong. No, chapter 1 is very, very difficult. Chapter 2, waiting is worse. Waiting is even more difficult. If you missed last week, let me give you a little background on the book. Habakkuk was written 600 years before the birth of Christ. So 2,600 years ago, Habakkuk lived and prophesied, and he wrote this book. And so what does a prophet normally do? A prophet normally speaks to the people on behalf of God. So you people over there, this is what God is saying to you. Well, Habakkuk is different. He doesn't just speak to the people. He goes to God on behalf of the people. And he begins to speak to God. God, we don't think that this is fair. God, I don't see this as being just. God, I want to know where you are. And he basically speaks, deliver us, essentially. Because Habakkuk's people, the people of Judah, were very blessed at one time. But now there's tremendous corruption in their country. And there's deceit and there's this poverty and there's these things that are coming against. They're oppressed now. And so Habakkuk is crying out, God, why isn't there justice for my people? And why are you doing all those things over there, God? But why why haven't you come to us? And where are you, God? And so he cries those things out in chapter 1. And God says, okay, I'm about to do something that you're not even going to believe, Habakkuk. I'm about to do something amazing. And even if I told you what it was, you wouldn't even believe the things I'm about to do. And so if I'm Habakkuk, right, I'm now I'm thinking, finally, God, you're about to do what I think you should do. Finally, God, you're about to answer me, answer all my prayers. You're going to bless us. We're going to live our best life, God. Now is going to be the time. You're going to do all the things that we've always prayed. And God says, yeah, I'm going to raise up your enemies, the Babylonians, people who are worse than you, and they're going to issue judgment on you. And Habakkuk is pretty much beside himself. This doesn't make sense. If you lived in Habakkuk chapter 1, you would say the same thing. This doesn't make sense. Chapter 1, he's wondering, why don't you do what I want you to do? Chapter 2, he's waiting. Okay, God, then if your promises are going to come true, then when? If it's not in chapter 1, then when is it going to happen, God? If, if you're not going to do all those things and things you promised to do, if it's not in chapter 1, then when is it going to happen? Some of you are waiting. What are you waiting for? Some of you have been praying for years for healing in your marriage or some of you have been praying for your prodigal son to come back home or your child to come back to the Lord. Some of you have been waiting and praying for God to touch someone, for them to do a miracle in their body, for healing, for something to happen. And you've been waiting and you've been waiting. What do you do when you're wondering 
And what do you do when you're waiting? What do you do when you're stuck, when you're hurting? Today, I want to get into chapter 2. I want to look at three things that God's Word tells us that Habakkuk did. That he's coming out of chapter 1 now. Three things that Habakkuk does in chapter 2 that we can also do when we're waiting, when we're wondering, when we're waiting for God. Let me show you the first thing we're going to see to do. Some of you, this is where you are, and you'll probably find yourself at one of these stages. Number one, you're hurting, you're wondering. The first thing we see that Habakkuk does is he's going to listen to God. First thing he does when he's waiting, what I like about this is that when God is not doing what you think he should do, when God is not doing what we think we should do, some people walk away. Some people quit on God. Some people start to doubt. But Habakkuk doesn't do any of those things. Instead, what he does, he positions himself in the most strategic place to hear the voice of God and to see the hand of God. He's come out of chapter 1, and a lot of us have maybe worked our way to the end of chapter 1 in our own lives. But now we're waiting, and so Habakkuk, he works his place to the most strategic place to see the hand of God and to hear the voice of God. Watch this in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will stand at my watch. So I'm still going to stand where I'm supposed to be and station myself on the ramparts. So Habakkuk said, I'm going to put myself in this place. I'll look to see what God, what he will say to me. And what answer I'm supposed to give to the people. I'm going to put myself where if God is going to speak to me, I'm in a position where I can hear him. Where I can listen to him even in the waiting. And this isn't easy to do when you're hurting. This is, in fact, one of the hardest things to do when you're hurting. Because when you're hurting, all you want to do is to tell God what you want him to do. When you're hurting and you're in that place of pain or you're in that place of wondering, all you want to do in your prayers is tell God what you think he should be doing. God, reach my son and draw him back home. God, touch my loved one and heal them. God, we've been praying for this child for so long. God, give us a baby. When you want, you want to tell God what you want. But when you're in the waiting and you're hurting, and this isn't playing games today. This is when you're really hurting. One of the hardest things that you can do is just to listen, to hear what God wants to say to you. Because so often we go into our prayer times and we pray those prayers. God, if you would just do this or God, if you would just do that, then God, we would bring you glory and we would brag about you, God. But God, if you don't, then I don't know how I can defend you. And I don't know if I just I don't see what I want to happen, happen. We begin to pray these prayers. It's difficult, God, to talk about your goodness when you're not doing what I know you could do and what I want you to do. And you want to tell God what to do instead of telling him what to do in those times. It's important that we listen. That we listen. Our God is a God who speaks. God can speak to you through his word. God can speak audibly. God can speak to you through a person that he sends into your life to speak to you. God can speak to you in your spirit, oftentimes even more clearly than if he had spoken audibly. God can speak to you through circumstances. God can arrange things. God is a God who speaks. And if you're not hearing him right now, don't panic. Just because he's silent, it doesn't mean he's absent. That God is still with you. God is still with you. He is still for you. As believers, we hear the voice of God. And so we begin to read his word. And if you are a believer of Christ, I would encourage you, get into his word daily. You have to listen to what he is saying. Our God is speaking through his word. Get into it daily. However that looks for you, if you have a physical Bible or you, you have the plan in the Victory app or in version app, whatever it is that you read, read it. You've got to get into the word of God to let him, to let him speak to you. I'll just be real honest with you, too, here at the outset of this sermon. Oftentimes, God is a God who speaks. Oftentimes, though, when he speaks to us, it's something that maybe we don't want to hear. That oftentimes when he speaks, it's something, this is exactly what happens to Habakkuk. You're going to do something amazing, God. I've got my ear wide open. What what is it? 
You're going to do something I wouldn't even believe if you told me. What is it, God? I'm ready. He's like a kid at Christmas, right? Like, what, what could it possibly be? I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. I'm going to do something. I'm going to raise up those people who are more evil than you are, and they're going to bring judgment on you. And I'm doing it, says God. And I'm going to Habakkuk. I'm like, no, that's not what I wanted. Can you, can you give me something else, God? Like, that's, just skip over that part. That's not what I... A lot of you, sometimes, you shake your Bible like it's a magic eight ball. Like, Lord, just send something else out of here. That wasn't the answer that I wanted. Give me something different. That's not what I wanted to hear. Because sometimes God will speak to you and he'll say something you don't want to hear. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Probably one of the greatest examples of a person that God would answer their prayer, that God would do something for them when they asked. Probably the greatest example we have in the New Testament. And if God asked him to do, and he had something called a thorn in his side. And so the Apostle Paul prays, and he prays three times, he says, and we don't know what the thorn was. The Bible doesn't tell us what the thorn was. Theologians think maybe it was blindness or an addiction or a depression or a pain or something that afflicted the Apostle Paul. We don't know what it was. We do know that he prayed three times, three seasons of crying out to God. And we sometimes pass over that. This is the Apostle Paul, three seasons of crying out to God. God, heal me. God, touch me. God, take it away. Take it away. Take it away. He cries out to God and God comes and God answers him. And God doesn't say yes. God says no. God answers the Apostle Paul and he tells him, you've asked me and my answer is no. And then he says to him, he says, and my grace is enough for you. He says, no, I'm not going to answer that. He actually answers. He says, no, I'm not going to do that, Paul. I'm not going to take it away from you. But my grace is enough for you. Now, if I'm Paul, this is not what I want to hear. If I'm Paul, I'm pushing back a little bit. Do you remember who I am, God? Don't you remember? It's me, Paul. I wrote a lot of books. Remember me, God? I'm really important. If I'm Paul, I'm pushing back. God, I don't want your grace. I want your power. Give Peter your grace, oh Lord. Remember, he needs your grace. You remember Peter? Peter denied you three times, oh Lord. Give him your grace. I want your power. Thomas, you remember Thomas, doubting Thomas. I won't believe unless I see. Mr. I won't believe until I touch the hand. Give him your grace, oh Lord. Give me your power. I'm Paul. You ever feel like that, Paul? Paul, If I'm Paul, I'm wanting to say, do you remember what I've done for you? Don't think for a second that hasn't crossed even the most mature Christian's mind. We're we're, we're being real here today already. Don't think that hasn't crossed even the most mature Christian's thoughts where they said, Lord, do you see what my family has done for you? What we've given up for you? What we've done in this life for you, for the church? All these things we've done. How about you get started and do a little something for us? Come on, I'm talking to the real people today. It has crossed our mind. I know it has because it's crossed my mind. When we begin to pray those things, if I'm Paul, I'm like, okay, I was beaten for you. I was shipwrecked. I was beaten until I passed out. They brought out the whips, oh Lord. I was, I was shipwrecked. I was snake bitten. I was tossed to and fro. I was thrown off of this. I was done this. I was stoned and not recreationally speaking, everybody. I feel like I need to, I need to address that a little bit, right? Just this, some of you are like, I can, I can suffer for Jesus. I also could suffer for Jesus. He's saying, I've done all these things for you, Lord. I was, I was tossed out of the cities. I've done all this. After all I've been through, give me your power. Give me your power. And God says, no, no, I'm going to give you my grace. But listen to me, Paul. My power is made perfect in my grace. What I'm going to give you is even better than what you're asking for. But you've got to listen. You've got to listen, Paul. Listen. God's going to show us once we hear what he's saying. Number one, we listen. Number two, we write. 
We write it down. We document it. We record what God says to us. And this is what God says to Habakkuk. Watch this in verse 2. Then the Lord replied, everybody take out your Bible and take out your notes. Come on, somebody. That's not what it says, but that's what I'm, I'm thinking, all right? You, you know I had to work this in here somewhere. We take notes at victory. He said, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. And watch this. He said, write it down, this revelation that I'm giving you. Write these things down. Why do we take notes? Why do we write things down when we have our personal time with God? Why do we need to record what God is speaking to us in those moments? It's because we have an enemy. And watch this in John 10, 10. It says the enemy comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Enemy only has one purpose, and that is he wants to take from you what God has given to you. The enemy's purpose in this life is to take away from you what God has given to you. God will give you a word. God will give you a moment of faith. God will give you a a moment of peace. He'll give you a, a word from his gospel word. He'll give you something. And if you don't write that thing down, the devil's trying to come and take it away. Jesus told us about the seed that is sown on the path where the birds come and eat the seed. It doesn't take root. I want you to be able to remember the things that God speaks to you. To remember the things that God is saying to you. And this happens all the time. Some of you, this happened last week. Where you came to church and and God spoke to you. Maybe it was through a song or through the message or whatever it was. And you were like, that is God speaking to me. I have a peace about that. And I just, I feel like God has spoken to me. And then you got in the car on the way home, right? And the kids are fighting in the back. And you're trying to not, you know, run the car off the road. And you're trying to slap them both at the same time. Come on, somebody. You know what that's all about, right? Like, he's touching me. She's touching me. And you're like, don't touch each other. Don't touch each other for the rest of your life, all right? Just don't ever, don't look at each other. Just don't, and you're trying to, and you get home and you think, what happened this morning? Did God speak to me? Was there something? I don't, and you forget everything that God spoke to you in that moment. If we don't write those things down, we don't reference those. He says, Habakkuk, write them down. Document them, put them on paper. Go back to it, claim it, live in it. Begin to claim the things that God has spoken to you. Don't let the enemy take from you because Satan wants to come to you. He wants to sow doubt. Did God really say? All the way back in the Garden of Eden, he tries to sow this doubt. Did God really say? Did God really move in your life? Did God really open that scripture to you? Did God really speak to you through that? You have to be able to reference those things. You know, it's beautiful in worship times when you look around and you see people lifting their hands and worshiping. and You think, well, that person just has it all together. That's the only reason they can worship God. Everything's going right in their life. And it's beautiful to me because of my kind of unique role in the church is that I'm able to see the different trials, the different things people have walked through. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody that if you could peel back the layer and see what they're walking through. But in worship, they're there lifting their hands and praising their God in the middle of the storm. If you could see that, such a beautiful thing that they can see it, that even when the storm is still raging, they can worship God. Even in the midst of it. It's like Paul and Silas in the New Testament, where they begin to sing while they're still in prison. They begin to worship while the shackles are still on. Before the freedom ever comes, we can begin to worship. When you begin to reference those things, when the devil comes and says, well, look at your circumstances. Look at the storm around you. We can say, I don't care about the storm around me. I know who my God is. I'm going to worship in the storm. That we can have that hope that we can worship even in the midst of it. God says, write it down. Write down those things that you can reference those. Even in the midst of it, we can still worship. So first, we listen to what God's going to say to us. Third, second, we write it down. The third thing is difficult. It's no fun. Third part of this that he says, it's where some of you are living right now. It's where I'm living right now. And that is we listen to what God says, we write these things down, and then God says to him, and then we wait. 
And then we wait. You wait. Wondering is no fun in chapter 1. Wondering, where are you, God? And why is this happening, God? Waiting is much worse. You wait and you wait and you wait for the faithfulness of God. Some of you right now, you're waiting. Will my child ever come back to Christ? You're waiting. You're praying. You want to see. You don't see. You see the opposite. You want to hear from God. And you, is God ever going to hear the cry of my heart and heal the marriage that I have? Is God ever going to stop the migraines? Is God ever going to bring me out of the depression? Is God ever going to... You wait and you wait. Verse 3 of Habakkuk 2 is one of my favorite verses. God says this. He says, the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Though it linger, wait for it. Some of you are right there in the middle of that verse. Some of you found yourself, you, you've, you've heard from God and you've written it down and you've done that. But some of you, you found yourself in that. Though it linger, wait for it. I love the way the Living Bible translates this very same verse. It says, God says, but these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, don't despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. A single day. At the appointed time, God will deliver. At the appointed time, God will respond. At the appointed time, God will free his people. At the appointed time, God will bring the promise. At the appointed time. In fact, I love that word that's translated there in the Hebrew to appointed time. It's the word moed. It's the appointed time of God. It's the perfect, unstoppable timing of God. That when God says it's going to happen, it's happening. When it comes, it's happening. It's the moed. Kind of like whenever my wife Alyssa gave birth to our first son, Elijah. Our first child. When she gave birth to Elijah, we went to the hospital, right? Went to the hospital like three weeks early, right? You just went, you just go because you thought something might be happening. But on the day it was actually happening, we went to the hospital and they came in to do the epidural because they do that before everything gets crazy. And my wife didn't want it during that portion. I think she's crazy. I think she needs counseling, but she didn't want it, right? If I'm delivering the baby, I want drugs and more drugs, all right? Just give me, I'm just, I'm just saying that to you today, all right? I want the epidural at the second trimester, six months out. Come on, somebody. But she didn't want it in that, in that moment. She wanted to be more in tune with the pain. Again, she needs counseling. But she wanted that. So, but then things started happening. And then the baby's on the way. And things are getting crazy. And so they came back in, right, to give the epidural. But it didn't take, whatever that means, right? It was too late. Because once the baby is coming, once the baby decides it's happening, it's happening. You're not stopping it. You're not saying, well, this isn't a convenient day. Can you come back next month, right? It's, when it decides it's happening, it's happening. At the appointed time, it's going to happen. When it's the Moed, when it's the appointed perfect timing of God, nothing can stop it. When it's the Moed, it's coming. When God has decided it's happening, it's happening. His timing is perfect. You say, it's taking forever. You wait for it. You say, well, I don't see it with my eyes. I don't see it happening. You wait for it. When it's the appointed time of God, it's going to happen. And remember this, God's delays are not God's denials. Just because you don't see it happening doesn't mean it's not going to happen. If God promised it, it's going to happen. You wait for it. Though it lingers, wait for it. At God's appointed time, it will come to pass. Verse 4, many theologians say this is the most important verse in Habakkuk. It's not my favorite, but maybe it's the most important. Because God is answering. Habakkuk doesn't understand and he's beside himself. The Babylonians are bad, God. You remember that they're bad? So when are you going to bring justice on them? When are you going to bring justice on us? And so God, if you look at the verses, you see that God answers in chapter 2. He gives the five woes of the Chaldeans, the five woes of Babylon. Where he says, I am going to get them. I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them. They're going to get theirs. 
But I'm not talking to the Babylonians, Habakkuk. I'm talking to you. I'm not speaking to them right now, Habakkuk. I'm talking to you. And Habakkuk is waiting. And this is what God says. God acknowledges their evil. He says, see, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. I know that. But I'm not talking to them, Habakkuk. I'm talking to you. And here he says, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. In the New Testament, Scripture says we live by faith. The righteous live by faith. We live by faith and not by sight. Our faith is not based on what we see. Our faith is not based on the outcomes. Our faith is not based on getting what we want. Our faith is based on the hope we have in the nature and the character of our God. We walk by faith. And a lot of times we like the verse. We don't like the application. But we live by faith. We live by faith. And so there's a song we used to sing in worship two or three years ago. And it said, take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. God is in the waiting. Even though I don't see with my eyes, I'm going to fight to trust you, God, with my heart. Even though everything I want to happen isn't happening, I'm still going to trust in you. I'm still going to believe in you. I'm still going to wait for your goodness. I'm going to wait for your glory to be revealed. Though it lingers, I wait for it. Though it takes time, I wait for it. And Habakkuk is confused. He's upset. He's angry. He feels betrayed. He's questioning. He's doubting. He's trying to hang on. And then he says these three words in verse 20, almost as if he's reminding himself God is still in charge. He says these words. He says, but the Lord. Everybody say that together. But the Lord. But God is in his holy temple. I love that verse, but God is still in charge. God still sits on his throne. God is still in charge of my life. God is still watching. He is not absent. God is still with us, but God is in his holy temple. Even when I don't get it, even though things don't look like how I think they should look, I remind myself God is still on his throne. Even when I don't see a way, I know with God there is a way. Even when I don't see it happening as quickly as I like, I wait for it. And I don't understand everything, but I believe in my heart and I know that my God is good. I know that my God is good, that God is still on his throne. And because he is still there, I can worship him before I see him move. Because I know he's still on his throne, I can worship him before I even see the promises and the purposes come to pass. I can stand with him even before I see those things. Even in the waiting, I can believe that he's good. In the wondering, I can believe that he's good. Even in the waiting... Even in the waiting, I can fix my eyes on him. Habakkuk, you remember what Habakkuk means? It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean to wrestle and then just to endure. It doesn't mean that you just, you wrestle, you wrestle, and then you just kind of endure whatever comes. It means to wrestle and literally to embrace. To wrestle, I, I don't like this. I would give anything for it to be different, but to hang on and say, God, I don't understand, but I'm not letting go. I, I'm going to wrestle because I just, I want it to be different. But I'm not letting go. Chapter 1, in the wondering, don't walk away from God. In chapter 1, chapter 2, in the waiting, don't quit on God. In the waiting, though it linger, wait for it. When it's God's time, nothing can stop it. When it's God's time, he's still good in the waiting. So in my mind, it's 99% wrestling. 99% God, just do it now, God. But there's one part of me that just knows who God is that says, I will not let go. It says, even if I don't see it right now, I'm not going to let go. I'll embrace even in the doubts, even when I don't understand, even in the pain, I'm going to embrace. And so I'm going to wrestle. And there's somebody here, you're watching online, and that's where you are. 
and you're wrestling and you're wrestling. Go ahead and wrestle in the tough times. Go ahead and wrestle. But don't walk away from God. Don't walk away from God in chapter one. Don't quit on God in chapter two. Chapter one, wondering is difficult. I'm not saying it's not. Waiting is harder. When you know the promises and you're waiting for it to happen. So week one, we're wondering. Week two, we're waiting. What happens in week three? We have to come next week to know what happens in week three. Don't walk away from God. Don't walk away from just because you're in chapter one. Don't quit on God just because you're in chapter two. He's strong enough to handle the wrestling. He's strong enough. Don't quit on him. Don't walk away from him. He's strong enough to handle when we wrestle. When we're confused, when we're hurt, when we run to him. He's strong enough to handle that. We have to continue to embrace. Bow your heads with me as we close today. Father, we ask that you would speak to us in a way that only you can. God, that we choose to fix our eyes on you. God, we want to hear what you're saying to us, even if it's something we don't want to hear. We listen. And Lord, begin to teach us as we write down these moments we share with you to keep in the hard times, God, in the storms of life that we can reference the things you've spoken to us. And Father, we wait on you. We wait on your faithfulness. We wait on your goodness, God. We wait on you. For those who feel stuck waiting, God, I pray that you would speak to them. That you would strengthen them. That they would feel your presence, Lord. God, that we can believe that you are good even when life is not. And Lord, speak to us this week through a person that you sent into our path, through a circumstance, Lord. Speak to us. We want to listen. God, give us the strength. Help us not just to endure in the waiting, Lord, but help us to embrace. To embrace who we know our God is. And we'll worship you, Lord, even before we see the promises come to pass. And even if we never see it come to pass, we'll still worship you. We'll still praise you. Lord, help us to remind ourselves that you are good. As we keep praying today, there are some of you and you're here today and you're waiting for something. Here's what's amazing to me, and that is that there are others of you that God is waiting on you. That God is waiting on you. And you came in today and you, if I were to sit down with you, just a one-on-one conversation, we were just to talk. And I want to ask you, where are you in your relationship with God? And you were to say, well, there was a moment I used to believe and now I don't know. And I used to, regardless of what you would say, there's some of you here today or some of you watching online. You would say, I know that I'm far from him. I know that I'm not faithfully following Jesus. And if I were to ask you that question, you might say, well, yeah, well, there was a time when I was a kid that I, I, I prayed the prayer. Or maybe there was a time when I, I, was, I was there and there was a time I heard a song and I felt like God was drawing me or someone spoke to me and I felt like God was, was drawing me to him. I want you to know that you're absolutely right. That your entire life, God has been drawing you back to him. That God wants you. And I don't know what you've been told. I don't know what you've heard, but I want you to know that Jesus loves you. That Jesus wants you. 
I know so oftentimes we hear this thing from others and maybe from self-righteous Christians that try to say that God's just ready to bring the hammer down on you. That God just wants to judge you. That's all, that's all he wants. I want you to know he loves you. That Jesus didn't come so that you would be guilty. He came to set you free. And I want you to know that. That he loves you. That God is drawing you. That he wants you. In the book of Luke, in chapter 15, Jesus tells the story about the prodigal son that he runs off and he does all these things that he wants to do. And he gets away and he forgets the father and he completely dismisses everything that the father tried to do for him and he leaves. And the Bible says that one day when he turns his face back to the father and he comes back home, it doesn't say that he walked in the house and he found the father on his own. It says the father was watching down the road for his son to come home. The entire time that he was gone, the father was watching. Where is my son? Where is he? I'm waiting for him. I love him. I want him to come home. And it's a picture of the father's love for us. That I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. The father is calling you to come home. I don't care what your lifestyle was like. I don't care what you came out of. Jesus loves you. And he's drawing you. You say, well, who is Jesus to me? Jesus is the son of God, perfect in every way. He never sinned, walked on this earth, and then he died on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven. Who's raised from the dead so that anyone, yes, including you, anyone, anyone could be forgiven. Anyone could have a relationship with the father. And God is drawing you. God's waiting on you. He loves you. So if that's you today, if you say, that's me, I want to come back to him. I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Jesus, but I don't know how to do it. We want to pray with you. We want to pray a prayer with you as a church that you can make the decision in your own life. And I want you to know, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not looking to make you stand up or come to the front. This is about between you and Jesus. I just want to give you the words to the prayer. You have to mean them in your own heart. Come on, church. We're going to pray this prayer with them. Nobody prays alone. If you want to make that decision, say these words. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins, for all my mistakes. I surrender to you. I believe what you did on the cross and I believe that you rose again. Now say these words, I make you the Lord of my life in Jesus name. Amen and amen. And all God's church said amen and amen. Can you put your hands together for what God has done today?